Well, you guys, please put your hands together again and, and join me in welcoming Pastor Jeremy Barahona as he comes to preach God's word for us. Thank you, Pastor. God bless you. Love you too. Amen. Amen. Well, man, it is truly, truly, as I said before, an honor and joy to be at Anacostia River Church. Um, I was eager to preach in D.C., uh, our nation's capital, um, but, but I, I really know that Southeast is, is really where it's at. Uh, so... You know, a matter of fact, if if uh, if we would have came to Southeast D.C. before we decided to go to West Palm Beach, uh, we might have just stayed. That's that's how how, uh, how how dope it is here. Can I say dope here? Is that OK? You know what I mean by that? All right. Uh, well, I, I also want to honor Pastor Dabiti, uh, Sister Christy and their children for their hospitality. Yeah. We we thank you. Um, for for your ministry of the gospel, uh, uh, Pastor Tabidi and Pastor Chris or um, uh, Sister Christie has ministered to us alongside their family, and we are so grateful for that. I also um, want to give a shout out to all of the pastors here at ARC. Can we give a hand clap to the pastors here at ARC? I've gotten to to meet them um, through the Creek Collective, and I, I also uh, want to just give a special shout out to my wife. Uh, my wife, yeah, she's been, you know, with me, um, and I've been with her through thick and thin as we as we walk through this church planting journey on the south side of West Palm Beach, uh, Florida, and uh, I'm I'm so grateful for her and and my daughter, and. You know, as we think about church planting, um, you know, really, we can't do this alone. And, and I'm not just talking about interpersonally. We need churches to plant churches together. So anytime you hear about the church plant in West Palm Beach, I, I, I want you to think like this. ARC is helping plant that church. I'm helping plant that church. Um, anytime you pray for us, anytime you think of us, um, you are with us in, in spirit, and we're, we're grateful for that. And when I think about the south side of West Palm Beach, I think of myself when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I remember the south side of West Palm Beach because it was the very place where my father would do street revivals right there in the barrio. Going to, going to a place that most didn't want to go to, even with the gospel. And as we began to think through where God was leading us and praying about that with our leaders, we saw that God was doing a great work in that community, yet because of the masses of people there, we wanted to join that work alongside those churches. And as I think about my story, I grew up in a Christian home doing street revivals. We were, you know, constantly in the word as a family. Mama made me, you know, memorize scripture, you know, that kind of family. You know, the, the kind of family that, that when you have your friends in the car, mom would say, Jeremy, pray. And I'd just be like, man, come on, my really? Right now? For real? I grew up in that kind of family. But as I think about my own story, 
And I think about the things that we did, like street revivals or being inundated with the word of God, which was a good thing. I remember I just began to wonder why people use the Bible the way that they did. I mean, I made a profession of faith when I was 13 years old. It's 13. If you're 13 here today, I want to say that God is speaking to you and God can use you now. But when I was 17, I began to investigate why the Bible was used to do atrocious things. You ever been there? I would wonder why was the Bible used to justify American shadow slavery in the past? Why was the Bible used to justify certain lifestyles that just seemed off, that was focused on self? Why was it used to support political leaders? that diminished immigrants like my mom and my fam and my other family members? Or why was the Bible used to exploit disadvantaged communities for the sake of money? Why was the Bible used in this way? Today, I'd like to propose that we need to understand the nature and the character of the Bible in order to know if we are using it right. There are many people who use the Bible for a lot of things, but the question on the floor is, are they using it the way that God intended it to be used? And we discover the nature of the Bible from what the Bible says itself. If we're going to know how to apply the gospel, we got to look at what the Bible is from the Bible. So for this reason, I was tasked by Pastor Tabidi to speak on the subject, the word of God. Can you look to your neighbor with your mask on? Say, the word of God. <laughs> okay, say it one more time. Today we're going to talk about the word of God. The Bible is the word of God. It is God's words to humans. And our key text this morning is found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. We're really, we're really going to stay there. We, we might go some different places, but that's where we're, we're really going to park. If you could turn to your Bibles there. This is your first time in a church service. Uh, the first Timothy is toward the end of the Bible and the second half called the New Testament. And our text today is written by a man named Paul to his protege named Timothy, who was a pastor in a city called Ephesus. Timothy was presumably anxious about the work there. And Paul, he was on his way out into glory. He was about to die for the gospel the, toward the end of his life. And the church is threatened. So Paul writes this letter to his disciple, Timothy. If you could stand for the reading of the word, if you're able. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 16 and 17, and we're going to talk about the word of God. If you could read it with me, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Here's the purpose, that the man of God or the messenger of God may be competent, equipped for every 
good work. You may take your seats. This morning, I would like to give from the Bible four qualities, four qualities about the Bible, about the character or nature of the Bible from this, these two verses. Four qualities, and for my note takers, the first quality of the Bible that we have to understand if we're going to use it is the Bible is unlocked by Jesus. The Bible reveals Jesus. Now look at verse 16 with me. It says, it says in the beginning, it says, all scripture, all scripture. The phrase all scripture in this immediate context refers to the Old Testament writings. The Old Testament or the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible is composed of 39 books with different genres like law, history, prophecy, and poetry. And if you want to know more about that, shameless plug, please see Sister Christie's new book, Literarily. Amen. I got to cop that too. It's the Old Testament. And Jesus, after his resurrection, because Jesus died and then he rose from the grave. He didn't stay there. After his resurrection, Jesus said to, his, to two of his followers in Luke chapter 24, Verse 44, you don't got to go there. I'll read it for you. He says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. What does Jesus mean when he says the law, the prophets, and the Psalms? Here, Jesus is referring to the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh. In doing so, he's making the point that the whole of the Old Testament foretold his death and his resurrection. In other words, there is no longer mystery about the promises of God. Jesus Christ is the Savior. And Jesus was telling this to his disciples who were sorrowful because he had died three days earlier. They didn't know where their life was going. Can you imagine that? Anybody in the house feel like that ever? And here Jesus is essentially saying, you should have believed the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament talks about me and what I did. But what about the New Testament? The New Testament can also be considered part of the phrase in 1 Timothy uh, 3.16, all scripture. The New Testament is composed of 27 books that carried what is called apostolic authority. Who were the apostles? Apostles were those leaders among Jesus' followers that were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. And they walked with Jesus intimately. And in order to transmit the teachings of Jesus throughout the ages, they and their followers wrote, the, the followers of the apostles, wrote down Jesus's life and teachings in what is called the New Testament in our Bibles. For this reason, the New Testament we have in our Bible is considered scripture or writings from God, affirmed by the historic church. They have apostolic content or eyewitness about his teachings and his life and his instructions for our lives. And for this reason, most of the New Testament was affirmed by the second century, by the church. And this is why we say 
that the Bible, both in the Old and in the New Testament, unlocks, is unlocked by Jesus. The, the Bible is a story that looks and points to Jesus, who reveals who God is, who reveals God the Father, who reveals the Holy Spirit, who from eternity past orchestrated the redemption of the world through Christ. In the Old Testament, the Savior of the world and the King of the universe is anticipated and promised. In the New Testament, it unlocks that the long-awaited Savior, Jesus, who is and was God, became human into a marginalized family. He died as a substitute for sinners and resurrected from the dead. What I'm saying is that Jesus embodied the word of God and fulfilled the word of God through his death and resurrection. So today, this king testified about, in the Bible, calls everyone and anyone to be sons and daughters by believing in what he did as outlined in the Bible. You might be here today and you're saying, I'm a sinner. I'm distant from God. I need to get my life back on track, and then I'll come to God. The good news today is because Jesus died and rose all Jesus calls you to do is to believe in him. Repent from your sins and follow him. But how do we know that God is the author of the Bible since it was written by human writers? You ever thought about that? I mean, when you read the Bible, you see it has names like this was written by John. Peter, Paul, Jeremiah. How, how, how is this book divine if it was written by human writers? We know this because the Bible is inspired by God. Look at verse 16 with, with me. It says, uh, Paul says, all scripture is breathed out by God. See that? This means that it is God exhaled, which is uh, a, a way to say that the Bible was inspired, which is to say that the words from Scripture originated from God. They came from God. Let me see if I can make this plain a little bit. When I was a child, mommy, my mother, had specific commands for my life. And I remember times... I love my mom, by the way. She was a good mother. <laughs> I remember times she would speak to my teachers before school in order to tell them her rules. Anybody relate to that? And these, the purpose of these awkward conversations, at least to me they were kind of awkward, was to give my teachers authority and responsibility to communicate her rules. I was under my mom's authority, even though I was at school. You understand what I'm saying? Now, my teachers, they had different personalities than mommy. They were in a completely different social location than my home. These were rules from my home. But I was at school, but those rules still applied. And my teachers had different styles for communicating. But at the end of the day, they were to communicate 
what the originator, my mother, said. And what I'm saying to you today is that similar to that illustration, what we mean by when we say that the Bible is inspired or originated from God or as God breathed, we're saying that God communed his words but transmitted them through human beings. God used their personality. God used their style. God used their occasion. God used their social location to communicate his word. And because of that, his word is the final authority. The writers were just transmitters. But perhaps you might read the Bible. Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, what is the Bible about? I mean, maybe you're a rocket scientist here. Maybe you're an entrepreneur. You're like, I read the Bible and I don't really know how that relates to my real life. So, so I need to know what, what is the Bible about? You ever been there? What is it about? The Bible, and this is our third point, the Bible instructs us about God and godliness. I want you to look at verse, verse 16 with me again. It says, um, in, in addition to being inspired, the word of God is profitable. Here it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. That word profitable could be translated as useful or uh, in the original Greek. And, and the question on the floor is, is it profitable for what? Is it profitable um, in the sense that it makes us money when we read it? Is it useful in that it gives us status in the world? That it fixes all of our bad circumstances right now, right here? We need to understand what the Bible is profitable for. Otherwise, we can be gravely disappointed if we misunderstand its function. The Bible is profitable in that it instructs us about God and humanity. The book doesn't teach us about rocket science, but it could be applied to the different realms of our lives because God is the author of all of life. So, but it teaches us about and reveals who God is and his ways. Verse 16, this is the reason why it says it's profitable for teaching. And as we read the Bible, we can see the character of God. We could behold the will of God. And we can infer what it means to be humans and principles for a living. Furthermore, the Bible is profitable in that it teaches us how one develops godliness. Look, look, at, look at verse 16 with me once again. It says, it's profitable for teaching. It's for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Hold up right there. There's a sort of progression there. Do you see it? Here, what he's saying is that the Bible reproves. It tells us when we are wrong when we are going against God. Then the Bible corrects. The Bible doesn't just leave us by just telling us everything that we did wrong against God. The Bible teaches us what is right and good. It corrects us. And finally, the Bible trains us for righteousness. The Bible develops the righteousness of God in our lives. Righteousness in this context means that someone is in right standing or is approved with God. 
And Jesus Christ is the one that makes us right or approved with God the moment that we believe. But when we open our Bibles, the Holy Spirit teaches us how to live lives that are consistent with that standing before God. It teaches us how to live rightly, how to live godly lives. So what that means is that the Bible is sufficient to find out who God is, and how we can be made into the likeness of Jesus day by day. So we got to read our Bibles to see God, to see our lives transformed into the way that God intended. Because our godliness shows up in every single realm. It shows up as husbands, as parents, as singles, as marrieds, as entrepreneurs, our godliness pervades every single area of life. So we got to read the book. But you might ask, what difference does the Bible make in the world? Okay, we, we talked about how the Bible demonstrates or shows us reveals who God is. We, we talked about how the, the Bible transforms us, transforms us into uh, uh, to be like Christ. Okay, that's good for us. But what difference does that make in the world? How, how, how does that change the world? We live in a, in a day and age where people want to change the world. They got a cause. They got a cause. But here's the thing, and, and this is not in my notes, so I'm just going to say it. That, that our cause shall be, should be driven by our character. And for the Christian, our character is fueled by the word of God. Therefore, we need to fuel ourselves with the word of God so our character represents God rightly in the cause and the assignments that God has called us to do. So how does the Bible change the world? And this is our fourth point. The Bible equips us for every good work for the sake of our neighbor. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 tells us the purpose of being instructed by God's word. Verse 17 says that the man of God or the messenger of God, which is all of us who believe in Christ, may be complete or be competent, equipped. Hold off right there. The word complete or competent can also be rendered adequate and carries a sense that one is increasingly Christ-like, that you look like Christ. And the word complete or mature in this context correlates to being equipped. So what I'm saying is you can't be equipped in the word of God if, or you can't be mature in the word of God if you're not equipped in the word of God. If you're equipped in the word of God, it's because you are maturing in the word of God as well. But the Bible tells us why we should be equipped in Christ's likeness from the Bible. Here it says in verse 17, look at it with me. It says, for every good work. I love that word, every good work. 
there's a lot of bad work happening in our world right now. There's a lot of bad work happening in our homes sometimes. There's a lot of bad work happening in our schools right now. But, but the word of God says it equips us for every good work. Good work in the Bible or good works in the Bible is for the sake of our neighbor, for the sake of the people around us. We do good works as a testimony to who God is. If you just read the book of Acts, you would see that anytime the apostles would do signs and wonders, it was so that they could represent God, glorify God, and tell others about them. The work that they did was consistent with what they said. Good works, everything that we do is for the sake of our neighbor. So what I'm saying is that it's necessary for us to learn the word of God and what it means in order to apply it for the good of our neighbor. God has assigned different vocations, relationship statuses, and experience, and we need to be equipped in God's word at Bible studies, fellowships, and small groups in the local church at ARC. We need to be equipped. We need to show up. We need to log on. We need to be equipped in order for us to do good work as God's representatives. And in doing so, we will be prepared to serve others out of our love and devotion for God. So now that we understand the nature of the Bible, how do we discern biblical malpractice? How do we discern that? We talked about how the Bible unlocks, is unlocked by Jesus, that it's inspired by God, that it teaches us about God in godliness, that it equips us for every good work for the sake of our neighbor. But how do we discern if it's being used rightly? When I was a child, my parents, they worked all day. So because of that, my grandma, she took care of us. Actually, my grandma lived with us. Uh, actually, uh, in many Latino families, the reason why you see us rolling deep many times is because many of us lived together <laughs> for a long period of time. My grandma lived with us alongside other families in our home. And my grandma, she had this, this interesting rule. She said, okay, after you do your homework, you could go out to play. You could do that, but check this out. You can only play from this house to that house, about a half a mile away. She's like, I don't care what you do, as long as you stay within those boundaries where I could see you, then you're good. But then there would be times where I would have friends, you know, the dude who pulls up on a bike. He's like, yo, you want to, you know, go check, check this thing out? Or, or sometimes I would just be curious, like, man, maybe, maybe man, it seems kind of cool to go to the basketball court. There's a whole bunch of guys there, you know, I want to I look tough and cool. And, and, and sometimes I, I would actually 
trespass those boundaries. I would, I, would, I would move beyond where my grandmother would see me. And every time I would do that, I already knew I was in trouble. I already knew that when I got back or if my grandma noticed that I left those boundaries, I was in trouble. But many times what I didn't realize is that anytime I left those boundaries as a child, I had the potential of being unsafe. In a similar way, whenever we think or live outside of the boundaries expressed today, we know that we're leaning toward biblical malpractice. Whenever we move beyond those boundaries, we are in danger. We are unsafe. So I'd like to encourage you today to test that interpretation or that practice or that heart motivation in light of the four boundaries we learned today. Does that interpretation, heart motivation or practice, does it point to Christ and the faith in him, that we are justified by Christ alone, by our faith? Does it affirm that the Bible is inspired by God, that these are God's very words? Does it orient you toward God in godliness? And does it equip you to do good to your neighbor? We need to ask ourselves that question. Because in asking these questions, we can discern whether we are using the Bible the way that God designed. Stay in the safety of God's word. Pray for your children to stay rooted in God's word, that they won't veer off the nature of God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. Because your word cuts us and heals us. Your word reveals who you are. Father, your word reveals who Jesus is and what he did. And we thank you for that. We pray that you would motivate us to get into the text. Lord, if we're struggling to understand, I pray that you would motivate us to get help. Lord, I pray... Father God, that you would compel us to go to Bible study, Bible fellowships, Lord, to come on Sundays to hear the word preached. Lord, I pray, oh God, that we would be men and women rooted in your word for your glory. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.